question number five. Question number five as, as we study at least a version of a catechism that I'm taking from the 1600s and trying to put it in modern English uh, from Benjamin Keach. But uh, question number five, that is for me, I've kind of combined some of the questions, so they're really on question six or seven. But question number five, we're going to be in John chapter five, John chapter 20, the first two, and then the next time we'll be in 1 Corinthians 10 and Ecclesiastes 12. We'll get there. But if you want to turn to John chapter 5 while I'm kind of giving an intro, um, the main uh, question is may all mankind use or read the scriptures and what does the scriptures mainly teach? And of course, the answer from the catechism in my, in my little English is all mankind is permitted and even required to look up the scriptures which principally teach what man is to believe about God and what God requires of man. So, so we're, ask, we're asking those questions. And you know, you may say, well, you know, that is so elementary, who cares? Well, my, the title of my message is, does a specific worldview make a difference? Does a specific worldview make a difference? Because that's kind of what it's going to refer to is, is you know, if, if you and I uh, have any other worldview other than a biblical worldview where we find that God has permitted us to read and requires us to read to understand who God is and what he's required of us, then a specific worldview matters, right? A biblical worldview matters. And uh, when I was younger, uh, as I've told you before, I had some intellectual understanding of scripture, at least that God was creator, that he created all things. I didn't I didn't know how to articulate other than I just believed God made everything, right? And I believed that the Bible says in John 3, 16, he sent his son to die for sinners, which I didn't realize yet I was that sinner. I thought I was okay, you know, because I'm okay, you're okay, and he loves me. I feel good until life happens. But, but a biblical worldview does matter uh, in the sense that um, doing hospice work for almost 17 years, and, of course, pastoral work since 1986, lots of times... You're uh, at least on the senior adult level. I'm dealing with people that either are diagnosed with a, a death disease, or they're just declining in nature, or or maybe it's just a young person. When I when I first became a believer, I spent a lot of time at the Baptist Village because back then you know, you didn't need background checks. You just showed up at the at the house of the cottage where they went to your church. You say, "Hey, I want to come in and hang out with the kids and everything." And sometimes they would let me sit in a room. They would let me sit in that house, and the house parents would go off and. Get ice cream at bronze for two hours, and I'll be with 20 kids, you know, and they're giving each other snuggies and everything. Just a different world. But whether I was dealing with youth then or senior adults later or just people in general, they had a lot of questions about the world they live in. Some of these kids came from either broken homes or uh, even if it was a broken home, the, the grandparents just could not take care of them. It was just too much for them, so they had to live there, and they had a lot of questions. I mean, I didn't have those questions. My mom and dad were still married till the day they both died. I didn't have all that little instability. I had my own issues. But a lot of those kids had questions. I had one girl one time, um, her name was Donna. We were just out there on the front porch of one of the cottages there at the Baptist Village. And she was in a Sunday school class that I had taught a few times. Otherwise, my friend that led me to the Lord, Bruce, was teaching that class. He was out of town. And so I'm going over there just about two nights a week and uh, hanging out with the house parents and getting to know them. And of course, they're kind of mentoring us young people that are coming there. But 
uh, the younger adults. But she was sitting on the front porch with me, and I was just fixing to leave to get in my truck and go back to my apartment because I had to go to work the next day. And she said, Steve, I had a dream. Now, I don't know if she really had a dream or not, but I think she used this to ask the question, I think, if anything, best case scenario. She said, I had a dream. I said, well, what is it, LaDonna? She said, well, I dreamed that the devil got saved yesterday. Can the devil get saved? And, you know, that's a good question because, I mean, whether it was a dream or she just wondering. And, of course, I'm just a brand-new Christian. I'm like, oh, how do you answer this? I mean, wouldn't you like the devil to get saved? I don't know. You want everybody to get saved? And I said, well, I said, uh, but because I knew something about my Bible. I've been learning. Um, did you say one of your pastors was Bill Green? Did he used to work at the cottage before ever came out here? The Baptist Village, maybe? No, no, there was another Bill Green. Okay, okay. Because that man mentored me and Bruce for about a year, the other Bill Green. And he would sit down and we would ask questions, maybe not like that, but we would just, he would give us an assignment. And we'd be there from 11 o'clock at night when I got out of school and work and then Bruce. And so it was just kind of interesting. Well, I remember him going to John 3, 16 and John 3, you know, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And I thought, oh, well, I said, well, no, the devil can't get saved. She said, why? I said, well, he can't be born again. He'd never been born in the first place. He's a created being. And we talked about that. We went to the scripture. And then she was so much, so much happier about her dream because the devil can't get saved. You know, he can't be born again. Uh, he's not born in the flesh and different things. We went through a lot of that. But what I'm saying is, is that whether that was a legitimate question or just an excuse to hang out with Steve like extra 30 minutes so she didn't have to go to bed early or something at the cottage, that would have been a biblical worldview question. That you would be amazed of some of the questions I've been asked over the years and facilities where I would be doing a Bible study for 70, 80, 90-year-old people that said they've been in church forever. And they might just say, well, you know, we've been walking through the book of Romans. Uh, the little, little nursing home I did there in Elmore, Elmhurst, uh, Illinois, we were just walking through the book of Romans. And I didn't know a lot about transliterating sermons. I'd read three verses and make a few comments. Then I'd read a few more verses and make a few more comments. And it was notorious. We went from about six people the first month I was there. Then they had to get us a bigger room because we went to 20 people the next month. And the third month, we had about 60 people coming on Saturday afternoons. And then a, a young lady that worked there became born again. And she talked to them, and I'd like to do a Sunday morning service. I'll run the keyboard. I'll, I'll play the keyboard for hymns. And I said, hey, could you come on Sunday mornings during Sunday school in my church? Yeah. I had 90 people. And every one of them, as I go around to shake their hand, as I get done with my Bible study, I never knew the Bible told me that. I never knew the Bible told me I'm thinking... They were Lutheran, they were Baptists, they were Presbyterian, they were Catholics. I mean, I'm like, they've never heard that in the book of Romans 3 or Romans 1. Well, I, it was during that time, I didn't know it was called expository preaching, but I found the power of just walking through a book. Because in the next two and a half years, I never gave a sawdust trail or anything, but I let them know, hey, if you need Jesus, when I come by to shake your hand, let me know and we'll talk about it. And in two and a half year period of maybe 90 people that would come the last year and a half I was there, we had 40 professions of faith. And I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful, pretty fruitful. And then we moved back to Oklahoma. I was going to Bethel Baptist, and the preacher was walking through the book of Matthew. I thought, oh, he's discovered what I've discovered, you know, book studies. And then he talks about expository preaching. I'm like, what's that? And I went up to, oh, well, I saw, oh, I realized I didn't invent the wheel. But 
because I began to teach that way, because I began to read my Bible that way, it developed a worldview. So when there was a question, I was familiar enough maybe with a book like Romans or Matthew or Genesis, I could lead them to a place to help them find an answer. And so when we, so when we think about this question, uh, does a specific worldview make a difference? Uh, may all mankind use or read the Bible? Are they permitted to read the Bible? Are they commanded? They're, they're not only permitted, they're commanded to read the Bible. They're commanded to look it up. That's why it says Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, it's not going to come unless someone's called to preach, herald, to share the gospel, right? So it's important that we have a, a, a healthy biblical worldview because, listen, over in Peter, I uh, can't remember if it's First Peter or Second Peter, but he says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. That implies two things. Number one, it implies that you're living in such a way which Paul was ta- or Peter was talking about because they were going through persecution, living a certain way that someone's probably going to be asking you some questions. Uh, like maybe back then, uh, you say you're a Christian and they're chopping people's heads off. What makes you so peaceful, David? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you a reason for the hope that lives within me. You know, that, that people are asking those people questions. And we live in such a way, throwing that salt, that we can reason with them and give them a reason for the hope that's in us. So having a biblical worldview, a familiarity with the Bible, not just topics and what I call hobby horse preaching. That's just my opinion. And you know about opinions, right? There's always two of them, and both of them stink, so like armpits. But um, armpits, you know, there you go, they stink. But I think a biblical worldview comes from really being familiar with the Bible, not just hobby doctrines or certain things. Um, a lot of those kids at that children's home had a lot of questions I couldn't answer. I said, well, you're going to have to ask Brother Bob. You're going to have to ask our pastor. I don't know. Because I, I didn't know what a concordance was. I, didn't know. I just had a Bible. That's all I had was that little King James Bible my grandma gave me when I graduated. And I was reading it the best I could. But as I grew up in my faith, I began to know how I could read, systematically approach the Bible to be more familiar with it. So, yes, mankind must and mankind can read the Scripture. And it's important, whether they're saved or lost, they, they're required to look up so they know who God is and what He's required of us. So I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5 with me. I know you've already got there. I'm going to get there myself. John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 31 through 40. John chapter 5, verse 31 through 40. I'm going to read those verses. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, if I'm the only witness based off the biblical standard of out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, how do you know it's really true, right? In other words, so he says, therefore, based off that standard, it wouldn't be true. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Talking about John the Baptist. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from, from man, But I say these things that you may be saved. He was burning and 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 shining lamp, and you were you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given to me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, 
that the Father has sent me his miracles, the third witness. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have, but you do not have his abiding, him abiding in you, his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. In John chapter 5, verse 31 to 34, mankind is given the scriptures so that they can find life. And in this case, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious rulers who just wanted to confront him on uh, trivial things because they just didn't like him turning their apple cart upside down, to be honest with you. And Jesus says, look, you've had four witnesses. You, you've had me, but if it's just me, don't believe me. But you've had me, you've had John, you even followed him for a little while. You, you liked that shining light that he gave. You remember there was crowds out there when John the Baptist was baptizing everybody in repentance, which was unusual for a Jewish person to want to be baptized in repentance because that was normal for a Gentile that wanted to convert to Judaism. And he was even leading the Jews to a baptism of repentance. You've had him. He said, then you, you, uh, you also had uh, my miracles that I'm doing right in front of you. It's, 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 it's proof that I am divine. I am who I say I am. That's the third witness. And he said, the fourth witness is, you've heard the Father at my baptism, but also you've heard the Father from his word. And he says, you have the words. You have the scriptures right there. And I think of another case where the word of God is important or the testimony of God's word is important to give life. You remember uh, the poor man that was in Lazarus's lap and the rich man that wasn't? And the rich man was just saying, just give me a drink of water. Just, just, just let me go up there and tell my brothers. He said, hey, they got Moses and the prophets. They won't even, even if you raise them the dead, they won't believe you. They already have the scriptures is what Jesus was saying. So when we ask that question, may all mankind use or read the scriptures? Yes. Because God's given us the scriptures to not only teach us what to believe about God, but what he's required of man. And of course, in this case, in John chapter 5, is that they might turn to Jesus, they could give him what? Life. They, and he says, you think you find life in scriptures, but you don't even see me in it. So on one hand, you could say, well, then I'll just have my friend read the Bible. Well, okay, but unless God turns the light on what? They're just going to read English black print on white paper. And that's why if I've ever had someone even inquire about Jesus, I said, well, you need to read your Bible. But I always tell them, you begin to pray that God would open your eyes. God would open your ears as you read this. Because sometimes they won't let me take time to explain like Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch to explain to him what's going on. Jesus has an earthly witness through, through John the Baptist, through himself, through, through the Father and through the Scriptures. So yes, man is permitted to go to the Scriptures. They don't even have to be saved to be allowed to go there, right? Now we know because of the Reformation, uh, the idea that Martin Luther wrote a Bible in German for the, for the vernacular of his own people, he realized that was important. Because otherwise they had to trust even him up there, maybe speaking the Latin, so before all the corruption happened. So it's important that 
that I believe, and I, and I spoke to a lady a couple weeks ago. I said, I don't know what version of Bible you got, but hopefully it's a version that speaks to you. It speaks your language. It, it, it's of your, um, your intellect and it inspires your, your brain because if it's old words, like we mentioned last week, if it's old words, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I can't read it and tell you what it is, then, then I shouldn't be reading it. I mean, I just I want to read something that makes sense to me from a translation. But it doesn't negate the other translation. It just makes this one more relevant to me because it's a language that I speak. And so it is important, Jesus said, because the scriptures have been given to you to give life, but you've got to listen within the scriptures, the witnesses of who Jesus is. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, John the Baptist. And so many times, uh, having those witnesses from the scriptures, what God will use to stir a heart, to awaken a heart. I don't know exactly what my former pastor said that night when he was preaching, but it was all making at least logical sense to me because I'd heard it before, the gospel. But all I know is when I'm standing in that pew, I thought, man, I'm guilty. What am I going to do? And I had every excuse in the world why I'm not going to come forward. My last one was, well, if I go down there by myself, someone's going to think something's wrong with me. Duh. And I didn't know it, but the Holy Spirit must have spoke to him. He says, if for some reason you can't come down by yourself, I'm like, whoa. He said, grab your friend by the hand. I was like, I ain't got no more excuse. But because the word of God was preached to me over years, seeds planted, they finally bared fruit. So mankind has given the scriptures to have life. Look at John chapter 20 with me. Just jump over to John chapter 20. A biblical worldview is important. Because within the scriptures, we what? Within that worldview, we have life. We have witnesses of the very words of life through the scriptures. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, there were so many, could be written down. But these are written, that is, these words, that are all 21 chapters of John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, his authority, his work, his redemptive work. Once again, does a specific worldview make a difference? Yes. Because I will tell you, on that night, standing in that pew, nobody had to explain anything to me because I at least been exposed to a biblical worldview. Very simple, probably very ignorant, very limited, definitely biblically illiterate, but I had the basics. God created everything out of nothing, and he sent his son to die for sinners. And God used that basic knowledge, that basic logic, and he awakened my spirit. And Jesus said there, that not only did he do signs and miracles, like he said earlier, I've given you a witness by that. But he says, John says, I wrote this gospel. So that as you read it, you could find life, you could believe. So a biblical worldview matters. A biblical worldview not only with us matters, first and foremost, because we're the ones that are throwing the seeds, right? We're the one that's being salt and light. So we got to be talking life, and I don't mean the word of faith type life, but we're going to be speaking truth, 
If I'm speaking truth, God can use that. I remember one of my experiences at, at uh, Nordam. I'm popping rivets. I mean, this other guy, we're popping rivets, and we're always talking about the Lord while we're popping rivets and what we read in the Scripture. Well, the one guy we worked under that day, or some lead man, he didn't want us talking about the Bible anymore. I said, well, we're getting our work done. And this guy was big. I mean, he was like an Inuit, A.N.M. mighty Norseman lineman. Okay, he was big. And if I told you his name, you'd probably know who he is. But we're still doing our production. We're making our production. And I said, well, I said, I said, I tell you what, I said, I will only talk about the Lord during my break. I get it. I'll just keep popping rivets. Well, then during break, me and Randy are sitting there eating our food, and we start talking about the Lord. Well, he was overhearing it, and he, he goes, I, I thought I told you. I said, well, I told you I'd do it during my time. That guy picked me up with one hand, shoved me up against an I-beam, and I mean, my feet are dangling. I'm, by that time, I'm about 165 pounds. So he's a big boy, he's, and one-handed, you know, and I was scared. But I began to develop that worldview, right? And with that worldview came confidence in what God had to say. With that worldview came understanding as to who I was in Christ. Me and Roger were talking about that today. He said, if I got another surgery, it's to live to Christ, die is gain. Either way, I win. He said, I'm not, not a guy of death wish, but, you know, what's the worst thing that happened to me? Well, that guy picked me up, and he just did the biggest threat ever. And I'm just sitting there looking at my friend Randy, and my feet are dangling, and I said, well, I said, he said he was going to kill me if I didn't stop talking about Jesus during my break and lunch hour. And, and this other guy's name was Randy. I said, well, Randy, I said, uh, I said, I know where I'm going. Do you when you go to the state pen after killing me? He just put me down, walked off steaming. Well, about a month later, I was moved up into the planning department to be a technical illustrator. And so I was down on the floor sometimes looking at stuff and drawing little pictures of stuff so they can show how to assemble all this stuff. And I did that for about six months, and, and, Rand, and that, other, that big Randy had not spoken to me since that day. But the Randy I hung out with continued to talk to him during breaks and lunch because he didn't threaten anymore, but he would just sit there and stew. Six months, I'm gone up in the office. One day, I'm eating my lunch up there, and I see that big Randy. I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm cornered in this office upstairs. What's going to happen? I'm up, 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 up above the tool, tool area. I'm thinking, he's going to come in here and kill me. And this big man comes to my desk. He falls to his knees, crying. He said, I am so sorry. He said, Randy just told me how to come to Jesus, and he came to Jesus. But it was because me and, me and the other Randy weren't afraid to share our worldview on our time. We, we get it, not during production time, but we shared our worldview. And it was just simple about Jesus and other things we would discuss about marriage or whatever it was. <coughs> and Jesus is saying there in John 5, and John 20, that mankind has been given the scriptures, mankind in general, but definitely born-again believers have been given the scriptures for not only our own life through salvation, but to share life, to share the truth about life. That person still serves the Lord somewhere. I, I connect with him every once in a while. So the first thing we find out is in John chapter 5 and John chapter 20 is that man, mankind is permitted to go to the scriptures, right? They're permitted. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you look in the scriptures. So Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't say, stop looking at the scripture. He says, you think you find life there, but you're not finding life because you're not looking for a witness of me in there. That's your problem. You're just trying to find an excuse to get rid of me or something. But he says, they are permitted. And even Jesus said there in John chapter 20, and John said, that's why I wrote this thing. 
That's why I wrote the gospel, so you could find life, find truth through Jesus Christ, find salvation. So man is permitted or allowed to look at Scripture. Matter of fact, you might use the word encouraged, right? Encouraged. Well, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, keep turning right. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, not only um, is man permitted or encouraged to look in the Scriptures where they what? They find life. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they're not only encouraged or permitted to look at Scripture, they're required to look in the Scriptures if they want life, right? It's one thing, as I was growing up, I was permitted to have a Bible in my house. I was, I was handed a little red Gideon's New Testament Psalms in fifth grade. I remember that. I still remember that Gideon's man giving it to me. I still remember walking out of a dorm at North, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, walking out there probably half hung over, and as I'm going to get one of my free breakfasts, because they had three meals a day at the college, right? As I'm walking out a door during a cold October, November, there's a man holding a box. And he has this little green book. He says, if I gave this to you, would you read it? Well, I didn't know if he was from a cult or what he was. I said, sure. I took it, put it in my leather, leather jacket, walked on. But it was during those next two months that I was really thinking a lot about my life and where it was headed or not headed in the right direction that I would thumb through that little thing. I didn't get it, but guess what? I was reading the scriptures because I was permitted. I was allowed. And then it was three years later of that November that fruit came to bear of salvation and repentance. Well, man is not only permitted or allowed or encouraged to find life through the witness of Jesus and, and find life in Jesus, right? But man is required to go to the scriptures for life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. He's talking about the, the, the um, nation Israel, fathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All passed through the sea and all baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well, well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Remember during those 40 years, he said, all right, this generation ain't going to make it. And they just disobeyed God. Verse, uh, verse 6. Now, these things became our examples. That is, when that happened, with Moses and the children of Israel going through the wilderness, looking for the promised land that Joshua finally takes them into, and even Moses can't, he says, Now, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink and rose up to play nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 23, fell nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer now all these things happened all this 
historical narrative happened in the Bible to them as examples. Examples of what? As they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We find out that the scriptures are permitted. They are allowed. They're encouraged because in that encouragement to read the scriptures, we what? We find life. We find a witness of where life comes from, Jesus Christ. But he also says the scriptures are there because they're required for us to read. They're not just allowed there and we permitted to be there and encouraged. They're required to, for us to look at the scriptures because it is in those scriptures that we find examples, in this case, examples of what not to do. And what God does to those that do what God says not to do. But they're examples. There's another scripture that talks about how uh, through the Israelites, uh, they preserved the word of God for us. So we'd have the full revelation of God. And I think it's in Corinthians somewhere. But he's saying that Jesus was using that narrative of Moses and Joshua and Caleb and all the children of Israel that, that were delivered from, from the, in, in the exodus of Egypt. He was using them as an example of what it means to disobey God. And, of course, there were some that did obey because we know Joshua and what? Caleb went over. God said, that's the only ones that, that, that will get to go over because they believed the promise. Remember when they went out and spied it out first time? And so he says they're given as our example of not only the majority of them, bad example, disobedience, but there's a few there of a good example of trusting God, obeying God. And so, therefore, it is required that we look at the Scripture from mankind like Scripture because it tells us something about God, right, and what God requires of mankind. In the first case, what God requires of mankind is to come to Jesus through his witness to have eternal life, right? And now that you have eternal life, you need to walk in a certain way. And it's required that we look at these examples, these Old Testament narratives or even the New Testament narratives, because we learn from their example of whether what's good or what's wrong or how, what does it look like to be an idolater? What does it look like, sexual immorality? I had someone ask me the other day, they were uh, talking about a scripture that talked about how your body was the temple of the Holy Spirit and uh, they were concerned about a particular uh, taste they had for something that was outside of sexual immorality. I said, well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a good taste to have to not want to do, but this scripture is referring to sexual immorality. Because otherwise, if you, if you apply this, well, then don't eat Big Macs. Don't eat, you know, he just gets crazy after a while. Or don't do this, don't do that. Don't, don't walk across the street looking both ways, you know, whatever, like your mama told you. So the point is, is a biblical worldview of understanding examples and why they're there and what they really mean is required, especially of the believer. Because I've had patients ask me a question. I had a lady ask me a question the other day during a funeral. Well, after the funeral, not during the funeral. But I was making mention of how this young man in that casket, his body and his mind would resurrect in immortality, in, in, in incorruption, and it would be, be reunited with his spirit to save the whole person. Well, later on, the family invited everybody out to go eat. So I went out to eat. And that lady I know knew this couple real well that I did the brother-in-law's funeral for, Tuesday. And she said, I got a question, preacher. It's okay. Because I referred to his body was going to resurrect. And it will. On the day of resurrection, on the day that Jesus 
bust open the eastern skies. Get my direction here. She said, I got a question. She said, I know Lloyd will be resurrected someday in his body. She said, but what about people that are cremated? I said, well, let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to happen to Lloyd's body in that casket? Well, it'll be his body. I said, well, it's going to decay into dust. So, well, how's he going to get his new body? Biblical worldview, right? I said, if God can create everything out of nothing and speak it into existence, I said, he can take those ashes, he can take dust and create a new body for Lloyd and for you and I that are in Christ. And I said, not to mention that, I said, what about, her husband was in the Navy, I said, what about your husband that joined the Navy and maybe they had to toss somebody off after their death at sea? I said, maybe they ate by sharks and guppies and here, there, and everywhere. I said, don't you think if God can speak everything to an existence in creation that he could just pull it all together and recreate it? Oh, never thought about that. I said, God's pretty big. But because I had a biblical worldview of creation and just some common sense and the idea of resurrection, she walked away with some hope, with some answers. Well, it's important and it is required that we understand the narrative because it's there as an example of not only how to live, but maybe how to share with somebody else because she thought, well, gosh, okay, Lloyd will resurrect, but what about my cousin that got cremated? She was concerned about her cousin. Oh, well, they can too if they're in Christ. Oh, but she had that question. See, she would have, had she not come to me to ask me and me had that Biblical answer of a biblical view, guess what? She'd probably still be asked that question, what about my cousin? She wouldn't know. She'd live in doubt. Last but not least, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. That's after Psalms and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes 12. It's the end of the book, the end of that book. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes excuse me, chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. Mankind is permitted, mankind is encouraged, mankind is uh, allowed to read the scriptures, and from those scriptures, they find a witness, several witnesses of Jesus Christ to find eternal life. They're required to look at the examples, because with those examples, they learn good examples, bad examples. Well, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words that was written, written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise and are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, of this whole book that talks about all kinds of non-conclusive situations, he says, let us consider the whole matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. In other words, this is, your, this is what you're required to do to find out about God and what he has to say about life. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Man is required 
Man is required to look to God's word for not only instruction of good examples, bad examples, but man, man is required to look at God's word uh, so that they will learn to fear God and obey God. And of course, we know in the New Testament that means through Jesus Christ where they're allowed to read. So I want to encourage you tonight as we think about having a specific worldview makes a difference. Yes, a biblical worldview makes a difference of either eternal life with God or eternal life without God. That's what I want to encourage you to do along with anything else that you may be praying on tonight. I want you to be thinking about a first name at least when you're with your group. Think of a first name of someone who does not know the Lord.